0: Brethren, the story of a great recovery. Part 2 Scotland and Ireland Chapter 8 Part 1 Early Days in Ireland When John Nelson Darby crossed from Dublin to Plymouth in 1830, carrying with him the glowing embers of a spiritual fire destined to light its way to many lands, he left behind an infant assembly as yet nameless. That assembly had already become an historic landmark. And yet, while subsequent years revealed a remarkable development in the work of the Holy Spirit in England, there appears to have been little, if any, marked progress in the region which claimed to be the birthplace of the movement. Nor can we find any tangible trace of similar assemblies having been established in the neighbourhood of the Irish capital consequent upon the historic meeting in Ongier Street. It is true that Darby made frequent excursions across Ireland to Limerick for the purpose of holding Bible readings or what was then known as reading meetings, but no evidence can be found of an assembly having been formed in that place at that particular time. The present testimony at Limerick is unable to trace its origin to those visits, although it is not at all improbable that some connection must have been maintained. It is known that a small assembly existed in the city somewhere about 80 years ago, for it is on record that a rather famous preacher amongst Christians known as Friends Evans by name went over to the Brethren. This fresh infusion of life into the struggling assembly greatly increased their influence in the city. About this time, many of the leading businessmen in the district appear to have been associated with the assembly, which, between 50 and 60 years ago, met in the present hall in Mallow Street. Both Darby and C. W. Macintosh are known to have ministered here on several occasions. The fact that Dublin figured so conspicuously in the early days of the Brethren movement must surely have been the outcome of a series of circumstances brought about by the divine will of God at a particular period, consequent upon a worldwide state of religious unrest. As has already been hinted, spiritual activity and development in Dublin following the epoch-making meeting alluded to did not rise to the degree attained in more distant parts of the kingdom and it was not until about the time of the 59 Revival that there was a definite manifestation of the working of the Holy Spirit throughout Ireland in general and Ulster in particular. We must, therefore, look beyond to Northern Ireland, and in our search we find in a country cottage, some four miles from the village of Banbridge in County Down, what is supposed to be the earliest Brethren Meeting in Ulster. It came to be known as the Clare Meeting, and here the Lord's death was remembered from the year 1840-18 years before the 59 Revival recalling the early days of which we now write. Drive W. J. Matthews, who for over half a century did much arduous pioneer work, preaching the gospel, establishing and building up assemblies throughout Ulster, told the writer that during a visit in 1882, he became acquainted with the Cairns family, who were among the last survivors of the little assembly. At that time there were three aged members of the family, one of whom was blind, and she told Dr. Matthews that the Lord's death had been celebrated in the breaking of bread in that little room for 42 years. There were then only two of these sisters there, also a niece, and one old brother to keep the feeble light burning. Soon afterwards the aged sisters died, and what remained became absorbed in another assembly which was established, following a season's gospel meetings, in a parish nearby. The meeting referred to in Miss Cairns' house, says Dr. Matthews, was the first in Northern Ireland so far as I know, and must have been composed of only a very few members, including old Mr. Plunkett, a customs officer, Mr. Patrick McKee, a bank manager in Banbridge, an old man named Kenneran, and the father of the old Cairns sisters. These would be about all, and after their decease, visitors from Lisburn in later years, and from Banbridge, kept alive the testimony till we arrived in the district in 1882, and formed the assembly nearby which picked up the remnant that was left. Mr. Plunkett was a very frail old man when I first knew him about 1880, probably he was the first to lead the Cairns family into the truth. That notable work of grace in the year 1859 began near Kells, County Antrim, through the exercise of several young brethren, amongst them being Jeremiah Manili. The movement spread far and wide, one of the first districts to be reached being near the town of Randallstown, County Antrim where many were saved through the ministry of the renowned C.E.H. McIntosh and a brother called Moore. Sometime soon afterwards, perhaps about 1860, a meeting was formed at a place called Grogan, two miles from Randallstown, in a little two-roomed house heated by a peat or turf fire. The principal brethren connected with the assembly were Boyd McDowell, Robert Vance, Joseph French, and a very well-known character, Roger Luke, who was the subject of a tract written by W.H. McLaughlin. Roger was a very wild character in his unsaved days, well known to the police, but when subdued by Sovereign Grace, he preached to all and sundry, including Roman Catholic priests. Gospel work was carried on constantly in his home. After some time at Grogan, the assembly was moved to a district, more central for believers, called Clonkin, where a wooden hall was built in which the assembly met for over 50 years, only recently moving into a splendid new hall nearby. Shortly after 1859 a few Christian men and women, whose hearts had been stirred by the wonders God had wrought in their midst during the great spiritual revival, which had invaded both church and home, met together in a private house in Belfast to read the scriptures and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Among them were Martin Shaw and his wife, Frances Moore, and John Marshall. The little company were later joined by C. O. H. McIntosh, who arrived in the city from Westport. He intended remaining in Belfast, But finding that these brethren would not go with him in his exclusive circle, he removed to Coleraine and took up residence there. Later on, these few met in what was known as Abercorn Rooms, where they continued until about 1874. In that year, a new departure took place. James Campbell and James Smith, two pioneer evangelists, commenced gospel meetings in the city, and by means of tent and schoolrooms, people were drawn to hear the preachers. The outcome of this fruitful effort was the ingathering of many souls and those who had been reached by the gospel were taught the truth of believers' baptism and gathering unto the Lord. By this time, the Abercorn Rooms meeting had grown considerably, and it was found needful to acquire larger premises. Victoria Hall was secured, and here for a time the assembly met, W. O. H. McLaughlin, saved shortly before this time, cast in his lot with them and became a lively helper. Other leading brethren who ministered to the spiritual needs of the church were Charles Leper and Samuel Spence. The advent of the Moody and Sankey mission, when there prevailed an atmosphere of spiritual revival, reminiscent of the stirring times in Northern Ireland, was the means of bringing many into the fold. From that time there was a steady increase, and as the work among old and young developed on every hand, it became essential that another place large enough adequately to accommodate a thriving assembly should be sought out. This was done, and a building in May Street, known as the Music Hall, was purchased and suitably adapted. The name was changed to Victoria Memorial Hall. At the close of the Great War there were just under 200 in fellowship. At the present time there are twice that number on the assembly roll. It is of interest to mention that Mr. A. Hamilton, who is still in fellowship, has been actively associated with this assembly since 1878, when the Little Company of Believers met in the Victoria Street Hall. In the early days, he gathered together the children of the district into Old King Street Hall, and formed the first Sunday school amongst Brethren in Belfast. About the time of which we write, another assembly commenced in Queen Street, Belfast. Relative to this meeting there is rather an interesting case respecting our R.E.M. Henry, M.A., a well-known clergyman belonging to the strict Orthodox Church of the Covenanters. He was then moderator of the Covenanters. The year he resigned his church, he called the clergy and elders together and told them he had been reading his Bible in Hebrew and Greek for years, but failed to find anything in Scripture to warrant the baptizing of infants. This unexpected declaration of Scripture truth was like a bomb dropped in their midst. There was a long silence. The first to jump up was John G. McVicar of Cullibackey, a fellow clergyman. What nonsense, Henry, he cried, doesn't Jesus say, suffer little children, to come unto me? Yes, Mr. McVicar, was the reply but if you substitute baptism for the Lord, you can make anything you like out of the scriptures. A thousand commands to bring children to Christ is not one to baptize them. He was then asked when he would preach his farewell sermon to his church. Nor must he mention baptism in doing so. It is not likely I will mention baptism, was Mr. Henry's quiet reply, but if I have to enter the pulpit muzzled, I will give no undertaking. The result was, he never got preaching his farewell sermon. Mr. Henry then joined the Baptist Communion, but a few years later associated himself with the Assembly of Believers who were then meeting in King Street Hall, where he continued, ministering to the spiritual needs of the little flock for many years. The Assembly now meets in a more commodious hall in Absley Street. After the 59 Revival As we have already seen, the Brethren movement in Ulster had its beginning, to a large extent, in the Revival of 1859, When there was peculiar evidence of a visitation of the Lord, attended by a remarkable ingathering of souls. The land had lain in spiritual darkness for centuries, when, all unheralded, the light of a new era pierced the gloom and spread over the country, apparently with little human instrumentality. Very little clear gospel truth was known save to a few who received the new birth about this time, or a little before. Side by side with real work for the Lord, another element crept in. It was what came to be known as being stricken, and rather took the form of an epidemic. For instance, during the course of a meeting, people in different parts of the building would suddenly fall down with screams and shoutings, and have to be carried out, many of them crying to God for mercy. Throughout the counties of Antrim and Derry, the work gave striking evidence of the prevailing power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Districts where Satan held sway, and over which indifference and cold religious formality had cast its mantle, gave ear to the clarion call of the Gospel. It is well worthy of notice, says a writer of that time, that in many cases, the work of conviction was carried on without reference to any special agency in the shape of ministry. In the field, by the wayside, in the home, souls were stricken in a moment, and led to cry, in excessive anguish, for mercy. Convicted souls were led to see the fullness, the extent, the efficacy, the infinite preciousness of the sacrifice of the cross. Another notable feature of this remarkable revival may be observed. In almost every locality, the Lord seemed to lay hold of some notorious character as if he would have a signal monument of grace to hold up to the view of the enemy. Some person who had been the pest of the neighborhood was stricken down by the convicting power of the Spirit of God and brought to sit at the feet of the Savior, clothed and in his right mind, and then sent forth among his old associates to tell what great things the Lord had done for him. So mightily was the power of God felt at that time that a public housekeeper in Coleraine was heard to lament that on Saturday, the first weekly market day after the revival commenced, there had not been a measure wet in his house the whole day. Thus in such an atmosphere of spiritual effulgence, not a few New Testament churches came into being, for many of those who were saved through a diligent reading of the Scriptures, having learned the truth of gathering simply in the name of the Lord, to remember His death, formed themselves into little assemblies. Such was the case in Ballymena district, where a testimony which is still maintained was established. This would be about the same time as the beginning in the city of Belfast, but the testimony here never took shape aggressively in definite gospel work, to be followed by the gathering of believers into assembly life, until 1872 73, when William Maclean came from Peterhead in Scotland. He was the first evangelist to live with the people in their homes, going out daily to visit and minister to them by their firesides. This homely form of pioneer work was continued as the warm-hearted Scotsman, with soul on fire, journeyed from place to place, preaching and scattering the good seed in cottage, or hail, or by the wayside, wherever opportunity came his way. Still the district of Ballymena had not altogether been neglected, for, in a measure, the long grass had been trodden down by such men as Jeremiah Manili and John G. McVicar. The latter, whom we recently found in warm debate with his friend Mr. Henry, over the vexed question of infant baptism, had continued his ministerial duties in the Church of the Covenanters at Cullybaccy until his conversion, which came about in a remarkable way. He was preaching from the pulpit of his church one day, when suddenly the light of the gospel broke in upon him. The congregation saw the change at once and thought their minister had taken leave of his senses. It was a mercy I did not wreck the pulpit, he afterwards said. But John was saved and the countryside soon realized it. He gave up his church and moved into Ballymena, where he joined the few already gathered there, and went round the countryside preaching. A large hall was built, and Mr. McVicar took his place amongst a goodly number of Christians who gathered there to remember the Lord. The ministry of John MacVicar was of an order that was appreciated all over the country. After many years in Ballymena he moved to London to a wider field of usefulness, and it was there that we first introduced him to the reader in an earlier chapter. As the assembly at Balamina grew, little companies branched off to meet in like manner in different places. Thus we still find a testimony at the village of Kells, four miles distant, and another at Ahagil.